Good morning, church. Um, We'll be reading from Galatians chapter 6, looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning. Again, that's Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Uh, Let me pray before we read God's word together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you as your pilgrim people on the way to the new heavens and the new earth where we will dwell with you once more, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to humbly obey you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, uh, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Hear now God's holy and inerrant word. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is... God's word. You can be seated. I'd like to uh, briefly introduce myself and then briefly uh, introduce the book of Galatians. I know it is um, kind of odd to just get something that's not really been worked through. And so uh, just a tiny bit about myself. Uh, I'm originally from Ohio, so we don't, we're not from uh, Jackson, Mississippi. <clears throat> I served in the uh, U.S. Army for 11 years. Uh, eight years I was stationed in Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Uh, I was a uh, Special Forces medic with 5th Special Forces Group. I medically retired two years ago, and so we moved on down to Jackson and started seminary there. Uh, The book of Galatians, again, just to kind of uh, give a brief overview before I get into the text. So really, if you look at any of Paul's letters that he writes, uh, you can basically split it right down the middle. And the first half of the book, whether it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, is usually about doctrine of some sort. And then the second half is about practical application or how you ought to live based off of what Paul has just laid forth scripturally. And so if you remember, the book of Galatians is uh, a bit of a charge, a rebuke against the church in Galatia because they were allowing a false doctrine, 
false teaching into their church, uh, which was by the Judaizers, who were basically, they were trying to take the law of Moses uh, back into the church. They would say, you have to be circumcised and you have to fulfill the law in order to be saved. You have to do the law that Moses had prescribed. Once you fulfill that, then you can be saved. And so Paul lays forth uh, what is commonly known as the doctrine of justification by faith alone. But he doesn't just leave it there and say, here's your doctrine, now just deal with it and, and be good Christians. He explains to us how we ought to be Christians, how we ought to be Christ-like. He reminds us that we are sons of God, that we were adopted into God's family as sons. We are heirs to the kingdom. And then he tells us that Christ Jesus in chapter 5 has set us free from sin, has set us free from the various fruits of sin that naturally come by. And that we have now been renewed by God's Spirit and are able by the fruits of the Spirit to bring forth love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All of this because what Christ has done for us. And now we move on to this text in Galatians chapter 6. And Paul is reminding us that although we are saved, although we are born again, although we are Christians... We ought to, as the body of Christ, bear one another's burdens. We ought to help one another, to assist one another in our lives. Uh, part of our training in special forces, uh, there's a, a rigorous selection process that you have to go through for three weeks. And one of the uh, various implements that they use uh, is a ginormous uh, telephone pole log type thing uh, that you have to hold up over your head, uh, you have to carry with you, uh, and it's extremely heavy, um, uh, several hundreds of pounds. And, and by yourself, you can't just come up and pick this thing up and carry it and do all the motions. Uh, you're reliant upon other members of your team who are there suffering with you to do the various uh, physical training motions that they want you to do. And so you have to rely upon your brother. It, it's teaching you to work as a team, to not be an army of one, to work together. And this is much like the Christian life, where we can't just be lone soldier Christians off uh, doing it all by ourselves, We need one another. That's why Paul calls it the body of Christ. We are all working together. We are from different walks of life, different countries, uh, but we are all united together in Christ. There is union with Christ and there is union in Christ. So what I'd like to impress upon you this morning is quite simply this, to bear each other's burdens. As Christians, we should bear each other's burdens. And we're going to look at this in three ways this morning. First, to bear burdens with gentleness. Secondly, to bear burdens with one another. And thirdly, bear burdens by sowing godly seed. 
So again, bear each other's burdens this morning and the rest of your walk with Christ. First, bear burdens with gentleness. Look again at verses 1 through 2 of chapter 6. Paul again says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. How should he restore him? Paul says, in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul uses this word caught, uh, to not be caught in any transgression, not be caught in any sin. And this word has this idea of being surprised, being taken surprised by something that happens. It's like being ambushed by sin. You're going about your normal day, uh, doing your typical duties, or you're at work, and suddenly you're ambushed by sin. You're ambushed by anger. You're ambushed by uh, covetousness. And Paul is saying if anybody gets caught in that, if anybody's caught in that, we should restore them. He talks about transgression in the ESV. Transgression is similar to debts. We say in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts or forgive us our transgressions. Forgive us our sins. Paul is saying uh, that these transgressions, these moral violations of God's law, of who God is, is that very thing which we transgress against him. They are offenses against a holy God. And so Paul is saying that if you see this brother, and by brother he's including sister as well, if you see another Christian get caught by surprise into a moral violation of God's standards, of God's holiness, then you who are spiritual, you who are mature in Christ, ought to restore that brother. Look at the language that he used. He's not saying uh, if you think about it, if you are in the mood, if you're feeling good that day when you wake up, then go and help them out. Only of those conditions go help them. No, he's saying if you see your brother in sin, you should, you ought to help them and restore them and bring them back. But how should that restoration be done? With gentleness. Again, by exercising the fruits of the Spirit that he talks about in chapter 5. Love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Providing gentle restoration to your brother. Paul says this when he writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 4.21. He says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? He also writes to Timothy uh, in his pastoral epistle of Timothy to correct your opponents with gentleness. You should do this with respect, with gentleness, not coming at them and saying, you are sin, you are doing this wrong thing, stop it, but come to them in gentleness and kindness and love. Think about the way that our good shepherd uh, disciplines us when we are in sin. Think about Psalm 23, 
which is obviously a, a, an allusion to Jesus as our good shepherd, David says that your rod and your staff are that which comfort me. Now the rod was using to uh, beat the, the sheep back into their herd if they're getting off track. And sometimes we need that discipline from the Lord, but from one another we do so with gentleness. And Paul also tells us, he says, but don't just do this, but be watchful lest you as well fall into that very same sin. It's often easy for us as Christians, as people who love our neighbor, to see the sin that they are doing and in an attempt to try to pull them away from that where we get narrow-sighted and zoned back into that sin and we fall into the same trap. Paul is telling us to watch our flanks, essentially, to watch your right and your left so that you don't also fall into this pit. I'm reminded of a a military tactic used during uh, uh, both World War I and World War II, Uh, and they didn't have all the technology that they do with tanks where you can see 360 degrees and still remain inside of your tank turret, Uh, They often had a tank commander who would sit outside of the hatch because he could see 360 degrees all around him. He had a complete awareness of his surroundings. And so often, uh, enemy infantry would do what was called uh, buttoning up the tank. And so you would fire machine guns uh, at the tank, at the tank commander, and that would force him to hide inside of his tank. And he could only look through his periscope, which is a really tiny, narrow window, to be able to see where the enemy was. And they had to manually crank it around the turret to be able to see where the enemy was. And when they got narrow-sighted, the enemy could then come and flank them on either side to destroy the tracks, destroy the tank, and render it uh, obsolete. And Paul is essentially telling us here that we need to keep that 360-degree awareness while we are helping our brother in sin so that we don't get blindsided, so that we don't get caught, we don't get taken by surprise from this sin. We must keep a watchful eye on sin. This is why the Lord tells us, why Christ Jesus tells us to pray to the Lord, lead us not into temptation. We must pray that prayer as we come alongside our brothers. Paul reminds us to bear one another's burdens so as to fulfill the law of Christ, which is rooted and grounded in love. John uh, writes of Jesus saying, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I myself, Jesus is saying, just as I love you, you also ought to love one another. Ultimately, we bear one another's burdens because we love each other. We are one. We are unity. We are bonded together. And this ultimately looks to our Savior and the burden that he had to bear. He didn't merely burden or or wasn't nearly burdened with one sin, but he was burdened with all of your sins, all the unrighteousness that you have done. Christ Jesus bore that. And took away that bondage of sin and freed you that you are no longer under any condemnation. That you are free 
in Christ Jesus because what he endured. We are to model Christ by bearing others' burdens. So we look firstly at bear burdens with gentleness, and secondly, we'll look at bearing burdens with one another. Look with me at verses 3 through 5. Again, Paul says, For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. We're kind of reminded in various ways in this uh, passage, first and foremost, that we can't boast about our own status uh, as Christians, our own spiritual status. We're reminded that God is the one who grows us. God's word is the one that grows us, that edifies us, that shapes us, that molds us. It is solely a work of God's spirit, the very gift that he has gifted to you, that he has granted to you because of what Christ Jesus does on our behalf. Again, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 says this, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. It's often easy for us to, as we walk alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, to, to have a boastfulness because, well, I, I don't have to go through that type of sin. I, I'm much stronger. I'm much more firm in my Christianity and my belief. But Paul is saying, no, we deceive ourselves if we think we have reached this epoch and redemptive history of, uh, of being completely holy, completely without blame, completely without blemish. We are still susceptible to falling into that same sin. We deceive ourselves and we rob the Spirit of God of His glory, the third person of the Trinity. We rob Him of His glory when we take the glory for ourselves. Paul also tells us to have godly examination. He says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, to examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Again, we have to be reminded that Christ Jesus saved us. We did not save ourselves. And so, too, the Spirit works in us that we may work with that Spirit of grace to bring about the fruits of the Spirit and therefore to bear burdens with one another, to work with one another. And we do this in an act of humility. Paul gives forth uh, this great example in Philippians of acting in humility. I'm going to read a couple verses and then really summarize the rest of what he says. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4, he says, Do nothing, not one thing, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also 
to the interests of others. And in this passage, he concludes with the why, or the so what. Why do I need to act humbly towards each other? Why do I have to be humble? Why do I act in humility? He says, because Christ Jesus came. He, He dwelt among his people. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, came in a state of humiliation. He came humble. He came lowly. Yet he did so willfully. He did so humbly, obeying the Father's will. And Paul says he did it to the point of death, even death on a cross, which was the absolute worst death anyone could die in that time period. Jesus did that humbly and willfully. And so Paul is saying that Jesus, because he is this perfect example of what it is to be humble, of what it is to bear others' burdens, that we also ought to do the same. When one member of the church, when one member of the body suffers, we also suffer on their behalf. So bear each other's burdens. We do it by bearing burdens with gentleness. Secondly, bearing burdens with uh, your neighbor. And thirdly, bearing burdens by sowing godly seed. Let's look at verses 6 through 10. Paul concludes, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But... The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul here is focusing upon the very standard by which Uh, We teach by which we bear each other's burdens and by which we are restored with one another. And that is through the word of God. Our shorter catechism asks, what do the scriptures principally teach? They principally teach what man is to believe concerning God. So our theology, what we should believe about God. And then secondly, what duty God requires of man, how we ought to act towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. The word of God is that very thing that is transformative. It is what gives us the standard by which we live. And the word that Paul is talking about is that which we should share with our brother. We don't just come up with our our good ideas, some moral advice we saw on Facebook or Twitter We come with the standard, the absolute standard of moral goodness, God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. He also kind of demonstrates, uh, by way of analogy, these these principles of sowing seed here in this passage. I'm going to read briefly Matthew 13, but when we just think about this in general, uh, we know that when we sow seeds of corn, Uh, watermelons don't just pop up and sprout out of the ground. If you sow a particular seed, within that seed is the DNA for it to produce its own crop. 
In the same way, in spiritual matters, you can't expect to grow self-control by sowing seeds of covetousness or idolatry. Good seed produces good fruit. Bad seed over here produces bad fruit. Now, Jesus gives us this very parable in Matthew 13, which I think Paul is thinking about while he's writing this. It would have been very familiar with Matthew's gospel. And Jesus says this, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that which has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. He endures for a little while, But when tribulation or persecution, or previously in the passage, he talks about the sun scorching it away, it immediately falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, who hears the word of God, but the cares of the world, the things outside of the church, and the deceitful riches of the world, they choke the word out, and it proves unfruitful. But Jesus concludes, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it and indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. Paul says we can't mock God and say, well, I'm, I'm sowing this other seed, but I'm hoping that good fruits come out of it. We can't deceive God by trying to trick him into false, sow, false seed sowing in the ground. Often we kind of grow weary as well when we are working with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, if you've done any type of farming or planting, anything, it takes time. You don't sow a seed in the ground and then wake up the next morning and you have a full oak tree. It doesn't work that way. It takes time. It takes maturing, growing. You have to water it. You have to put it in sunlight. Sometimes you have to take it away from the sunlight. You have to prune the parts that are dying in order for it to sustain itself. And so we can't think that bearing each other's burdens is just a quick fix and it's going to go away right away. It takes time. This is why one of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. It takes time. But although it takes time, we have to bring up our brothers and sisters by the word of God. It has to be that which is captivating their souls. Reminded just up the street, essentially, from where we are now, uh, the fire starter of the Reformation, Martin Luther, he was so captivated by the word of God it emboldened him to face death and it emboldened many of the reformers to face death. He was so captivated that they're willing to die for it. And why? Die for what some people would say are just words on a book. Because it's not just words in a book. It's not just ink on paper. It is living. It is active. It is the word of God, the creator and sustainer 
of the universe. And Christ Jesus came as the Word incarnate, the the culmination of God's uh, being, came in the flesh and died and uh, was resurrected and raised again from the dead for our sins. It is this Word that we sow to one another to bear each other's burdens. And ultimately, this passage reminds us of our need for Christ. Uh, My hope for you is that you never, in your lifetime, grow too old or grow too mature for the gospel, for the simple gospel that Jesus Christ is Lord, and he died for sinners like you and me. We can't do this without the Spirit of Christ indwelling in us. We bear one another's burdens out of love for Christ because Christ himself bore our burdens upon that sin. And so, brothers and sisters, again, bear each other's burdens. Bear burdens with gentleness. Bear burdens with one another. And finally, bear burdens by sowing godly seed. And let us go to our Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we often fall short of your glory, of your holiness, of your goodness. We have either fallen short already today while the day is young, or we'll fall short by the time the sun sets. But Lord, we are reminded that you are a good God, a God who loves his people, who has given a special covenantal love for your people that you have adopted in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for that very privilege that we did not work our salvation, we did not bring anything to the table, but sin and misery which Christ himself bore on our behalf. And Lord, we ask that you continue to shape us and mold us, to conform us to the image of Christ through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, be with us on this day, the Sabbath day that we have set apart to look forward to the eternal Sabbath where we will dwell with you in the new heavens, in the new earth, in glorified bodies. Lord, be with your people, be with your church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.